John chapter 14, uh, verse 1. I'm going to begin reading there. Now, I know this is a real familiar passage, and it's normally preached at funerals, but this has a message for us today uh, that we need as a church, I believe. Our church has been going through a lot of hardship and trials through the last couple of years. We've had folks that have died, uh, illnesses, uh, not to mention COVID and all of that. Uh, we've, had, we've had our share of trials and burdens. And so I thought about that and I thought I need to bring a message to minister the Word of God to our church. Plus, I've kind of been a little bit hard uh, in my preaching the last couple of weeks and I need to be nice today, and at least for one Sunday. Um, and the Lord, Lord just, He spoke to my heart about this, bringing a message that will minister to the Word of God, uh, to the people of God. I just realized we have with us this morning Sue Ellen. Good to see you this morning. Glad to have you with us today. We've been praying for you and looking forward to that memorial service that we're going to hold. Um, if you, I know I've announced it before, but that memorial service, what we're going to do is we're going to turn half of the auditorium into an area where we can put up some tables and have some food there. So as a church, we're going to minister to Sue Ellen's family and provide a meal for them. We're going to have the service here, and then there will be a, uh, a, a burial service uh, at, at the East Lee Tart uh, Cemetery. So as a church, uh, we need somebody to kind of head up that, uh, the food, so to plan that. Good. That's that's beyond my uh, my uh, yeah my skill set. So so glad to see you here today. All right, okay. John chapter fourteen and verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Let's go ahead and just read down to verse 6. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to preach for a little while on the theme, faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much um, for all that you have uh, done in this service so far, for the singing, uh, for the piano playing, for the good spirit that's here with us, for each soul that's present with us, God, for this church and the witness of the gospel in this community. And God, uh, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these comforting words that come from our Savior's lips the words in red in our Bibles. And God, I pray that you would minister the word of God to our hearts today. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd bless our congregation. We've been through so much together as a family. And I pray, Father, that you would strengthen our faith. 
and that we might be able to walk in victory, to have a, a living, active faith, walking in faith, walking with our Savior. Help us, Lord. Help us to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can in our fellowship and our relationship to Him. Please bless this now, and Lord, I pray that you'd take it and use it how you want to. And I pray, God, I pray for the Holy Spirit of God to move among us, to work in our midst, and to give each one of us what we need today. Strengthen our faith, encourage us, get us ready for what lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' earthly ministry is now coming to a close. In chapter 13, he had been speaking to his disciples. And in verse 33, he called them little children. And he said, I'm with you for a little while, but then I'm going to be gone. I'm going away. He, He had been ministering publicly, but now he's together with his disciples and he will no longer speak to the public, only to his followers. This is what's called the upper room discourse where they observed uh, Passover, which became the Lord's Supper. And he's ministering to them and and teaching only them from here on out. He has led his beloved followers through three and a half years of ministry, teaching them to go out and to preach, teaching them to minister to other people, teaching them about himself and, and about... His will, and, and, and now He's going to lead His followers to the Mount of Olives. He's going to lead them to the Garden of Gethsemane, where He will allow soldiers to arrest Him and, and to condemn Him to death. He will lay down His life on the cross. He will shed His blood. He will be slain for our sins. And He will rise again from the dead. He told them this. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They had it fixed in their minds that he was there to do an earthly work of reforming Israel, freeing them from their oppressors, Rome. They had it in their mind that he was there for something earthly. And he said, no, I'm here for something spiritual. I'm here for a spiritual job. Something greater than what you have in mind. But they they just didn't get it. They didn't have the faith that they needed just yet. And when when Jesus told Peter, I'm going to go now and they're going to take me and they're going to hurt me and they're going to kill me. Peter said, no, Lord, no one is going to touch you. They're going to have to go through me. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus knew that he didn't have enough faith to do that. None of them did. None of them did. And he told him. He told him, and no doubt it hurt Peter. He told him, you don't have enough faith to do that. They all ran for their lives when Jesus was approached in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he was arrested, they scattered They needed greater faith, and so do we. We need greater faith for what's ahead of us. That is the need. That's the necessity today. We begin our life by faith in Jesus Christ, do we not? Believe the gospel, and you'll be saved. And we continue the same way. We walk by faith and not by 
sight. We continue in faith. We, listen, we must believe. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. We must believe, we must have faith, and we must trust in God. It's necessary, it's essential. The Lord Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure. And what does He do? What does He think is the best thing that He can do to get them ready for this? He teaches them a short lesson on faith. Without this faith, listen, without this, we'll have a weak, flimsy faith that will crumble under the load of life's burdens and cares, will be crushed underneath the pressures of this life, the temptations of this life, and what God has for us to walk through and to go through. We must be strengthened in our faith. We must rely on and be mindful of a few things that I see here. First of all, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye, ye believe in God. I call this the community of faith. Ye, if you will, the community of faith. If you won't, the fellowship of faith. Ye, that's a second person plural pronoun. He's talking to the whole group. There are some people who thought that since Jesus rebuked Peter and said, you're, you're not going to stand with me and you're not going to get in, a, in the way of God's will. There's some people who thought that Jesus was now comforting Peter in chapter 14 by saying, let not your heart be troubled. And they come to this conclusion because in the newer versions, it will either say, you believe in me, which when we read that as modern day 21st century Americans, we read singular because that's all we think about. Me, 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 me. And when we read the Bible, that's all we think about is me, 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 me. And so they, they have come to the conclusion that he was saying that to Peter. And then in some versions, there's not even the word you there. It just says, believe in God, believe also in me. But we have a superior translation that helps us to get the full picture. He wasn't just talking to Peter. This wasn't just a message for him. It was a message for all the disciples and a message for you and for me. Ye... <laughs> You say, what are you saying? We need the community of faith. We need one another. I need Brother Jonathan. I need Brother Clifford. I even need Brother Clifford. <laughs> you know? And I need Sheila and, 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 and Boo. I need these people in my life. I need the community of faith. He says, ye believe. He was pointing to their, their collective. They've been together through a lot. Three and a half years. They saw a lot of things. And they're about ready to see something that nobody saw coming. They're going to see Judas betray Jesus. They didn't see that coming. He said, you boys, you believe in God together. We need this. You, You can't make it. You're not going to make it for the Lord. In these last days, with everything that we're up against in America, you're not going to make it without your church. You need your church. It's absolutely essential. It's essential that you keep coming. I need it. Of course I do. We're all weak and prone to fall. Right? And we all sin every day in thought, word, and deed. We do. And we need one another. When I come here, what happens? The preacher was talking about it yesterday. Iron sharpening iron. We're strengthened. 
it, it gives you like a shot in the arm and, and helps you to get ready for the week. It's the first thing that we do in the week. We, it's the priority of coming together. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. If a person gets away from this fellowship, what happens? Well, what happens to a plant when you bring it to the Westover house? Lately, things have improved. Um, and this is not, it sounds like I'm putting my wife down, and I guess it's kind of a backhanded compliment. Plants are doing pretty good around our house right now. She taught me what a backhanded compliment was. She has a way of complimenting me, but at the same time, I feel like I just got smacked. But uh, <laughs> you bring a plant to somebody's home. Now, listen, if you put it in the sunlight, you know, some of them need more than others. You've got to get them the right amount of sunlight. You've got to water them, right? And if you don't, what happens? Well, those green leaves turn yellow and start to shrivel and sag and turn brown and fall off. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of a person who removes themselves from the soil and the nutrients and the light that they get from being planted together with God's people in church. Plant yourself somewhere. Let your roots go down in deep and be nourished. We can't do it alone. We're not meant to do it alone. Never was meant to do it alone. Amen? The community of faith, ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then I see, secondly, the discipline of faith. Look what he says, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. We have to say, we have to say to our hearts, don't be troubled. Speak to your heart and say, stop it. Don't be troubled. Don't be carried away with worry and wondering about what happens if this goes wrong and what if this changes and will we have enough retirement? What what if my health fails? What if we have to go to the hospital and they send me home with, you know, uh, $130,000 in medical bills or something like that? Don't, you have to say to your heart, stop it. Let not your heart be troubled because those are the things that our hearts are troubled about. Now, the disciples, they were troubled about something different. They loved Jesus. They wanted to spend every day of their lives with Jesus. They'd kind of gotten used to him being around. And they were troubled because he said, I'm going away. And they're thinking about that. They're thinking about the political situation and in Jerusalem. They're thinking about a lot of things. And Jesus said to them, let not your heart be troubled. You have to say to your heart, I will not let these doubts and these these fears that I have and these sorrows just go round and round in my mind like a merry-go-round. I've got to stop it. I won't let these doubts rule over me. There's 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 personal responsibility in this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You have to say to your heart, I believe what I have learned about God and I trust in His promises. I will, not, I will not let myself worry. I'll stop worrying. And I'll start, listen to it, I'll start trusting. I'll stop worrying and I'll start trusting. 
I'm going to change this, this harmful habit of faithless thinking. You have to tell your heart this. The, the heart is connected to the mind in the Bible. This is talking about the way we think, our emotions. You have to tell your, yourself, I'm going to stop this habit, this habit, because it is a habit of worry and faithless thinking, and I will trust in God. That, believe, that brings me to my next point. The object of faith, the community of faith, the discipline of faith, it is a discipline. It's something you, you have to tell yourself. I'm not going to let myself do that. You know, it's dishonoring. Listen, we're all guilty of it. Who in here is probably the greatest worrier? We're, we're good at it. We're good at worrying. We practice our whole lives. We worry about everything. I remember when I was a kid, walking into the classroom, I worried about what they'd think about me. Stupid stuff. I remember I'd draw pictures, you know, draw pictures in class, and I was drawing all the time, and I got pretty good at it, I guess, but not real good. But, I was, you know, I'd worry about, what if that girl likes me? I think she likes John Michael Luskovich better. I'd worry about stuff like that, you know? And then I went out to the movies with her, and, and then she didn't even go with me. She, she said, you go with my friend. And then I spilled a big cup of pop, blue pop, all over her. And I worried. I thought, this completely ruins my whole situation at school. I'm a zero. I'm done, you know? We worry about stuff from, we, we learn young, man. We learn to worry. We worry all throughout life, and then when we get older, we've got bigger worries. We're just good at it. We'll worry about, I don't know if I'm even going to go to heaven. That's because you're not trusting the Word of God. I've been there. I've been there. Somebody had to show me, you've got to take God at His Word. And when you trust God's Word, and then put some actions to it and start obeying Him, those feelings will come later. Those feelings of assurance and things like that. We worry about all kinds of things. We've got to tell ourselves, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because it's dishonoring to the Lord. Not just that, though. I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say. If you don't do this, you're going to dishonor me. I think what Jesus was trying to say is, I need to build you up in your faith because you're not ready for what's coming next. You've got to get stronger in your faith. And the only way to do it is just what Jesus said. Tell your heart, stop it, cut it out, and trust in God. Isn't that what he says? You believe in God. That's the next point. The object of our faith. The object. That's important. It's not just that you have faith, because you can have faith in a lot of different things these days. But it's the object of your faith. Where do you place your faith? You believe in God? Believe also in me. You know, God rules over everything. He governs everything in our universe. You know, think about that for just a minute. We're dealing with a God who's powerful enough to create everything that we see in heaven and on earth. Just fantastic. I don't know if you've seen this video, but have you seen the video of the astronaut who steps out of this little, like, astronaut uh, hangout in space? This little thing i don't know it came out of a rocket ship <laughs> and it's just this little pod and he steps out of the pod he's got a camera on him he looks down he can see the earth he's outside of the ozone he's in the second heaven he's in outer space he looks down and he's about ready to jump he jumps 
and the camera watches the whole fall, and uh, you can see him, you know, you can see him from two different angles, his camera and then another camera, and uh, he jumps, he goes right through the atmosphere, and he gets down to, I forget how many thousand feet, <clears throat> before he opened up his parachute, he opens up his parachute, lands safely on the ground, that's just fantastic, it's amazing, and it's stupid, <laughs> why, why do that, I don't know, maybe, uh, <laughs> I guess just because we can, right? But listen, the God of the Bible is the God who created all that, and we're just playing around with it. And never take the time to look around and say, the God that made all that is powerful enough to keep it all going. Jesus holds everything together, Amen. and things don't change. Amen? Amen. And we can count on that. We count on that. We count on things to stay the same. Water stays water. Uh, chemicals stay chemicals. We can count on the consistency of our world to stay the way that it does. I can put gas in a car that was made in the 1940s and 1950s, and it runs on that. And if it still is operating today and has been rebuilt, you can still put gas in that same engine, and it'll still run on that. Why is that? Because the properties of these things do not change. Because they're all kept together and held together by God. They're consistent. Jesus keeps the earth going around the sun. He keeps the moon going in its course. He keeps the whole universe going in its course so that they don't just crash into one another and we all die. And you can't trust Him to run your life? You can't trust God to, to control you and your life? You have to have a biblical understanding of the nature of God. I just want to give you something just real quick, just briefly, but it is interesting because this is the way that a lot of Americans think. This understanding of who God is, if you really get in the Bible and study who He is, which we can't do that in this message, it'll protect you from four common errors. One is deism. That became popular in, in the uh, universities, Brown and Yale and Harvard, still is popular. Deism teaches that God created the whole world and then just lets it go and abandons it. It's like God wound up a clock and then just lets it go. That's deism. So God is not personally involved in creation that's an error. Pantheism, this is uh, becoming more and more popular because of the fruitcakes in Hollywood. But pantheism teaches that creation does not have a real existence in itself. Creation is not a separate thing. That creation actually is a part of God. And you are a part of creation, therefore you are part of God. So when you hear people, uh, these nutcases that you watch them on, uh, they come on Oprah and stuff like that, and they say, I am God. You hear people say stuff like that? That's because they believe in pantheism. That's the kind of religion that is uh, more popular than what you might think. Uh, it also delivers you from this error, the error of chance. <laughs> that there's no real order to life. And so these kind of people who believe in chance, they talk about being lucky and being unlucky. And there's also people who believe in fate. Fate teaches that things are out of our control. They're, they're determined by some kind of a supernatural, uh, neuter-type power. All of these things are, are, are errors, but you'd be surprised. Listen, if, if you are concerned about knocking on wood, if you say something bad and something bad might happen, and you say, oh, you better knock on wood. If you're somebody who knocks on wood, you're, you're believing one of these errors. I'm not knocking on wood. If you're worried about stepping on cracks or, or crossing black cats, you're one of these people who believe in these errors. I, I don't worry about those things. I trust in Almighty God. Amen. 
Amen. I'm not worried about that. I don't care if I got to move underneath the ladder on the job site to get over here and do something over here on this part of the wall. But you do that in a modern day job site and somebody will say, "Uh oh, you walked under the ladder. Or you break a mirror when you're putting it up and installing it in somebody's house. Oh, you broke a mirror. I don't care if I broke a mirror. That has nothing to do with my life. I believe in God. He's in control of everything. He's in control of my life. Everything that comes into my life is a result of God's plan for my life. Everything. Good and what we would consider to be bad. And what, do we believe it or not? You know, All things work together for what? For good. To them that love God. To them that are, who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Right? And, and God's in control of it. Either by His uh, directive will, directly, this, that, or permissive will allows it to happen. God's in control of everything. You you see, you believe in God, do you? Jesus said, believe also in me. Well, that's a statement of his equality with God. Jesus is God. That's one of those statements in the Bible. Believe also in me. What does that mean? Listen, if you've ever had problems with your faith, which is my next point, if you've ever had problems with your faith, the answer is Jesus. He's the answer. Uh, Alfred P. Gibbs, he's a preacher and author. He's with the Lord now. He died in a car wreck. He died in a car wreck. Great preacher. Great author. Just a, a great servant of God. And I remember I, I studied that. Was, that was our textbook in Bible college. And I studied that book. And, and I wanted to find out more about Alfred Gibbs. Does he have more books, things like that? Uh, where is he? Can I, can I hear some of his preaching? And I remember looking him up, and I found out he died in a car accident. And I think, why would God do that? Why would God take a man who is used so greatly, and obviously is very, very gifted, and he took him home, and he probably wasn't a whole lot older than what I am, mid, mid-life, took him home. Why would he do that? Well, you're never going to understand that, and neither am I. These are some of the problems of faith. But he said, when he was talking about this passage and when he gave an outline of it, he said that this passage, it, it handles the three greatest problems in life that we face. And he called Jesus the great problem solver. First, the problem of understanding God's providential dealings with humanity. We don't understand everything, but because God sent his son into the world, we know that God is going to make all things work together for good. Why is there sin in this world? Why does evil persist? Why do people walk into school buildings and shoot people up? Listen, God didn't do that. That's because of sin. That's because of that shooter. Don't blame that on God. Blame that on this wicked nation that's under the judgment of God. And humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And He'll have mercy. It's just God removing His hand of blessing. You want to see what this country is like without my blessing? Sin did that. Some wicked young man did that. Filled with the devil. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But these are problems of our faith. What is God doing in my life? And listen, He's not obligated to tell us. I mean this in love. He's not obligated to tell us what He's doing in our lives. Because He does things sometimes that I don't understand. And it hurts. 
doesn't it? You lose someone, you get sick. Someone you love gets sick. Your, your husband and a wonderful preacher dies in a car accident. We don't understand all of these things, but God is in control of all of these things. And he's making it all work together for good. All of it. And he's got something in mind that he wants to do. Can you imagine if you and I ran the universe? I couldn't handle it, man. I couldn't handle it. Only God can do that. That's a problem. That, the problem of sin in the world and the problem of what comes after death. People have been wanting to know the answers to these questions for a long, long time. But Jesus is the one who handles the problem of sin and the problem of what comes after death and the problem of understanding God's providential dealings with humanity, we know that ultimately that we'll be with the Lord and we'll be separated from all of our problems and this will be a small thing and pale in comparison to the glories. Listen, can you imagine right now, could you imagine right now if Jesus were to walk into this room and uh, I never ever embarrass anybody in the congregation, but just were to walk up to you and just to take your hand and imagine Jesus walks up into the room says, take my hand. And you take a hold of his hand. You see that print in his hand. He pulls you up and brings you into his arms and gives you an embrace. Omnipotence, the Son of God, embraces you and says, I love you. It's going to be all right. I've got a plan. You'd break down in tears. Your heart would be overwhelmed. Just to be in his presence, to see those prints, to say there's no doubt about it. He would stop at nothing to save me from this wicked world. Mixed up, confused, dangerous place that we live in. And just to hug you and to tell you. Oh my goodness, there's times when I get in prayer with the Lord and I just can't take it. There's men who have really gotten close to the Lord and in prayer they have had to say to the Lord, Stay your hand, Lord, I can't take anymore. Just overwhelmed with the love and the presence of God. One day, you will wake up in the presence of the Lord. You'll see his face, and I bet he's a hugger. <laughs> I bet he's a hugger. And he's going to wrap you up, and he's going to tell you, you're home now. It's better. It's all better. I'm going to fix everything. Amen? He went to Calvary to prepare the way. Sin is it's hurtful. It kills. It doesn't make sense. It makes me do things that don't make sense. And it has a penalty, an awful penalty. And Jesus suffered all the hell for us on the cross to save us from going to that awful place and suffering for our sins. The benefits of the cross are applied to us when we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ. A lot of people won't do it because they say, if I turn to Jesus Christ, I know that it's going to change my life and I have to turn away from my sins and I don't want to do that yet. That's a heart problem. I want my sin. You can't have your sin in heaven too. You've got to turn from it and turn to Jesus Christ and trust in His shed blood. Sin bars us from heaven. You're going down the road of life and the road is flooded by sin and you can't get past. If you try to go into that water, it's going to wash you away. The bridge is out. The road is closed, but Jesus opened up a way. He prepared a way at Calvary. And He prepared a place. You see it in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
He prepared a way to heaven at Calvary. When he got to heaven, he prepared a place for us. Someone said that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you prepared today? Lastly, you know, uh, there's the triumph of faith. I don't want to leave us on a low note. I want to leave us sounding a high note with the trumpet of the Word of God. There's a triumph of faith for those who are prepared by just a simple childlike faith and believing, trusting in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Have you received Him? Have you accepted Him as your Savior? What I mean by that is, have you prayed to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins. You were buried. You rose again the third day. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Would you come into my heart? Be my Savior. I don't want to go to hell when I die. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. Have you done that? That's what I'm talking about. If you haven't done that, you're not prepared. Heaven is for a prepared people. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the only way. There is the triumph of faith, though. When the Lord is done with this church age, He is going to come back. In verse 3, If I go, Jesus said, I'm going away now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and I know your hearts are troubled, but don't let them be troubled. Just trust in me. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Those wonderful words, four words, I will come again. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Word of God, it, it were today. <laughs> These words, they refer to the time when the Lord will come back in the air. Those who have died in the faith will be raised. When the living will be changed and caught up to be with the Lord in the air. When all the blood-bought throng will be brought home to heaven to be with the Lord. This is a personal, bodily, literal coming of Christ for His church to meet them in the air. Just as surely as He went away, just as surely as Jesus went away, He's coming again. Do you believe it? That's the triumph of faith. That devil's not going to win. That devil already lost. He already lost the battle with sin, with, uh, with uh, this world, and trying to take over the kingdom of this world. Jesus already defeated death and hell. This is the triumph of faith, man. We're going out of here, and we're going out of here in style. <laughs> you know, the Lord's going to make a statement with that. We're going to triumph in our faith. Right now, I feel like I'm just limping through life. You know what I finally figured out? I'm going to struggle with sin for the rest of my life. What's the answer? Trying to control this more? No. The answer is to put this to bed with a shovel. Death for this daily. It's not going to get better. The answer is to strengthen my faith. How do we get faith? The Word of God as it's preached. The Word of God as it's preached. I'm closing now. We're not having church tonight. And uh, can I say this in closing? 
talking about living by faith. I prayed for that bus to run as we went up to that youth rally. Prayed with all the kids in front of everybody. And I said, God, make this bus run. Now, just imagine if the bus didn't run. They'd say, that man that does all the talking up there can't even get a prayer answered. You know? But I said, Lord, I prayed to you. And you said that if I ask, I'll receive. And so, Lord, keep it running. And on the way back, that little wrench came on, on the little picture of a wrench and the engine trouble, you know, and gauges started going like this on the, on the battery. So lights were kind of dimming. And it was like, like that. And it, I found out if I put it on cruise control, it just keeps going. So anyways, we actually made it back. But the whole time I was thinking, oh, oh, you have a little faith. Oh, you have a little faith. Like, don't, don't doubt, don't doubt, you know. I didn't even want a, a thought to come into my mind of doubt, you know. And uh, I should have sang songs. That's, that's helpful to control your thoughts, to sing songs, memorize some of these hymns. But we made it back, praise the Lord. And I'm not taking it out again until that gets, gets fixed. But um, you know what I thought, though? Just a simple illustration of faith. I think I'm, you know, the Lord just kind of probably up there smiling, probably telling the angel, just touch that battery in there a little bit, touch it on him. Just to mess with him. I don't know. Trying to grow my faith. But you know, we're in a spiritual battle. And you have trials up ahead of you that are going to crush you. You're going to crumble underneath these things if you don't take this serious. And so why? You've got to strengthen your faith. You've got to get in the word. That's where faith comes from. Faith cometh from hearing, hearing by the word of God. Get into that word every day. Be prepared for what's coming because it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. We're like, I like what the preacher said yesterday. We're not playing hopscotch. We're not playing tiddlywinks. We're not playing jacks. And I got a few more. We're not playing uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, come over. We're not playing tag, you're it. We're not playing duck, duck, goose. We're not playing uh, hide and seek. We're not playing a game. We're in a spiritual battle. <laughs> this is war. And the battle is for your life. And the battle is for your soul if you're not saved. The devil doesn't want you to live for the Lord. The devil doesn't want you to hear these words. And the truth is always simpler than what we think it's going to be. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If there's a problem that you have right now, can't you trust it with the Lord?